Support for Kansas City Today comes from Grandma's Office Catering. One bank teller instead of the usual five. Slow, fast food lines. Simply not enough staff. Grandma's Office Catering avoided the mass exodus with the respect, appreciation, better wages, and now health insurance. That's how Grandma continues to wow. Grandmascatering.com. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Ujia Dean. Today is Thursday, April 21st. Coming up, Missouri's teacher salaries rank last in the nation. Will that finally change this year? Plus, Ford is electrifying its best-selling F-150 pickup. Some predict the electric pickup is what will push old-school drivers toward going electric. Meaning your mainstream Midwestern truck buyer may join the forces of the, you know, the Teslas on the coast to really start tipping the scale. But first, some headlines. Kansas Governor Laura Kelly signed a $22 billion budget bill yesterday. The measure includes new funding for dozens of state programs, including one to extend health coverage to low-income mothers. Jim McLean of the Kansas News Service has more. During the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, the federal government paid to expand Medicaid coverage to new mothers from 60 days to a full year. The emergency money has run out, but Kansas will use a combination of state and federal dollars to keep the extended coverage in place. David Jordan heads a coalition of groups that lobbied for the extension. He says it's critical to the health of new mothers who can develop serious complications, including postpartum depression, months after giving birth. A quarter of deaths postpartum happen in the period after 60 days of coverage, so extending postpartum coverage can save lives. The extension will increase the state's annual share of Medicaid costs by about $4 million and provide coverage to an additional 9,000 women living just above the federal poverty level. Kansas City Council members debated yesterday about how to best deal with homeless camps. KCUR's Salisa Kalakal reports council members questioned whether camping on public property should be made illegal. City law currently prohibits people from camping on any vacant land. An ordinance sponsored by Councilwoman Rihanna Park Shaw would change that to make it illegal to camp on private property. Another measure introduced by Councilwoman Catherine Shields would ban camping on all public property. Park Shaw said that would criminalize homelessness. There are about 2,000 individuals, if not more, that are unhoused or experiencing houselessness right now. If this goes into effect, ultimately, they're breaking the law. The Finance, Governance and Public Safety Committee voted to table both ordinances until June to allow for more public engagement. Starting pay for Missouri teachers is about $32,000 a year, which ranks dead last in the U.S. Missouri's governor, Mike Parson, called for setting aside $22 million of the state budget this year to boost that pay to $38,000. But some lawmakers are balking. On Up to Date, KCUR's Steve Kraske spoke to Representative Maggie Nuremberg, a Democrat from Kansas City, about why. She serves on the House of Elementary and Secondary Education Committee. Here's part of their conversation. You know, the holdup appears to be in the House Budget Committee uh, representative and its chairman, Representative Cody Smith. What's the issue? For some, the governor's plan didn't go nearly far enough. And for others, it was too much. So unfortunately, what we saw from the chairman of the budget committee is he simply tossed out the plan and didn't propose uh, an alternative. So Representative Cody Smith, again, the chair of the House Budget Committee, he threw it out. Why, Representative? Well, from our smallest rural school districts, we heard some concerns about compression. So as you mentioned, Missouri's starting salary is $25,000. 
We saw a plan from the governor that I thought was an important first step to increase the base salary for all teachers to 38,000. So it provided school districts with an opportunity to buy into this program essentially. And we saw this budget line as 20, about $21.7 million. And to me, when we're looking at a $47 billion budget, I thought that this was uh, essentially, you know, a very small proposal, but it was a step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. uh, the budget chair didn't like it, so we tossed it out. But we did present an alternative that I want to mention, Steve, which was restoring funding for the career ladder. I actually came up with that proposal going around and talking with some of my Republican colleagues and, and whipping votes on this proposal to see if this would be a possible solution. And thankfully, we did get the support for uh, to, to move that money into career ladder, and we were even able to increase that on the floor. So ultimately, this gives teachers some extra pay for the duties they are doing outside of the school district right now that are they're simply not getting compensated for. So just to be clear then, this idea that Missouri ranks last in the country when it comes to starting teacher pay, it, it sounds like there's no hope for increasing that pay at least this year. Am I seeing that correctly? You know, I honestly, I, I have some hope that the Senate can restore this, that they can come up with a real solution. Again, we are in a historic budget year, and we have the opportunity to make historic investments in our human infrastructure. And I really want to emphasize why this is so important for teachers. We saw, especially with the, the pandemic, so many issues um, really exacerbated the, the problem with teachers both having to work more, enjoying their job less, right. and quite frankly, just considering leaving this profession. So the reason why we have to do this, we have to find an alternative if it's, you know, if it's in the Senate, if it's next year, but we have to continue to strengthen the pipeline so that we can continue to recruit the best and the brightest into the field of education, but also really do things to retain teachers once they've entered the profession. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what your reaction is to what's going on here. I mean, to have the governor of the state call for an increase in starting pay in his state of the state address and to have that governor be a member of the Republican Party, which controls the levers of power down there, you'd think this wouldn't be that heavy of a lift. But here we have one lawmaker, Representative Cody Smith, saying, uh-uh. Why does it work that way? Well, we have to remember, Steve, that we are also in a supermajority state of, of Republican leadership. And so, you know, we sometimes on certain issues, it's as if we have three different caucuses. We have, you know, kind of your traditional Republicans. We have our, our very conservative caucus. And then we have the Democrats. And while the governor's plan wasn't perfect, we could have taken some time to improve it. Instead, the budget leadership just tossed it out. So again, the, the governor recognized that we have a serious problem in the state that we need to address. And the fact that the House Republicans didn't even deem it worthy of those efforts, I think speaks volumes as to their priorities and mm -hmm. how, quite frankly, they continue to undervalue education, especially when, when the people across the state are those who are responsible for teaching our uh, nearly one million kiddos that we have in our public schools. You know, we've talked about this on this show any number of times, but is there a broader agenda here for uh, for Republicans across the state when it comes to public education? Uh, you know, how committed are they to it, really? Sometimes you wonder. And again, if a Republican was sitting here, I'm sure he or she would, would disagree vehemently, just to be fair. But what, what do you think? That's an important question. I think we need to continue to ask that. 
I would say that still the vast majority of Republicans in this state strongly support public education. Quite frankly, in many of the areas, recognizing how large our state is, we have 114 counties for the vast majority of our counties. The only option are our public schools, and they recognize that their public schools are pillars in their community. Many times they are the largest employer. They are a central part of keeping that rural community going and functioning. So I still would like to, to really make the point that I think the vast majority still support public education. However, we continue to find ways to divert more funds into public education. We cannot continue to have a strong quality public education system while we're diverting more and more funds to different programs like mm. the Neo Voucher program that was created last year, while not making any adjustments into the amount of money that we put into education. So we have a great uh, formula for funding public education, Missouri called the foundation formula. Right. But this year, we are putting in less money into that formula than we did in 2007. So while many will say we fully fund the formula, we fully fund public education in Missouri, we're not adjusting for inflation. And but, when we do that, we're in investing in education at levels less than 2007. But since then, we have changed the formula, though, right? The 2007 formula is not the 2022 formula. Well, what we did, we did instate a cap, a, essentially like a, a growth cap. And we've also, and, and so we've essentially kind of moved the, the goalposts. Right. And so we can make the check mark to say, yes, we're fully funding it. But I want to emphasize that we're not just, we're not adjusting for inflation, which is really important to recognize, especially today. And we're also not fully funding the transportation formula. Mm. That is a huge cost and a huge burden to many of our school districts, Steve. And what is happening is they're making those choices. Are we going to be able to continue to fund transportation or after school programming or are we going to have to make the cut and decide to go to a four-day school week? And so that's another thing that schools are faced with. We have next year, 25% of our school districts in the state of Missouri will be on a four-day school week wow. because of this very issue. And again, your point is this is uh, this these decisions not to fund these programs uh, are occurring even at a time when the state has record surpluses. We left nearly $1.8 billion in general revenue on the table. It's a historic year. This really was an opportunity to make historic investments, and we've yet to see those. That was KCUR's Steve Kraske speaking to Missouri Representative Maggie Nuremberg. You can hear their full conversation from up to date on KCUR.org. Ford is electrifying its best-selling pickup. The F-150 Lightning rolls onto roads this spring. Trucks have symbolized the internal combustion engine, but the company is trying to show old-school drivers how electric vehicles can work in the country. The F-150 has been America's most popular vehicle for 40 years. For that nearly half century, it sounded something like this. But not anymore. The F-150 goes quiet when it's powered by electricity. Ford admits as much in a commercial where its new truck speeds through a puddle, kicking up muddy water. Now the F-150 Lightning runs nearly silently, but make no mistake, it's built Ford tough. Still built Ford tough. The carmaker is trying hard to convince customers that an electric vehicle, or an EV as they're called, can work outside of big cities. It's an important pitch for Ford, says John Murphy. He follows the company as an analyst for Bank of America and says the F-150 drives the majority of the company's profits. And it has, uh, for some time, been the best-selling vehicle in the country for, for decades. So it really is the keystone of, of Ford's business. And it's an important pitch for the future of electric cars. 
Rural America hosts 70% of the nation's roads. EVs won't catch on without buy-in from rural drivers. And while Chevrolet and GMC have electric pickups in the works, Murphy says Ford has an edge being the first. He says all of the electric truck options could bring a real transformation to the middle of the country. Electric pickups may drive the real you know, tipping point for electric vehicles, meaning your mainstream Midwestern truck buyer may join the forces of the, you know, the Teslas on the coast to really start tipping the scale. High gas prices might be pushing people toward electric at the moment. But beyond pain at the pump, Ford wanted to make a truck that could work for its drivers. It can tow up to 10,000 pounds. You can plug tools into it out in the field or power a house for up to three days. Wanda Young is a chief marketing officer at Ford. She says the automaker knew it needed to get the F-150 Lightning right. You cannot separate a farmer from their truck. You know, it's just like their favorite pair of jeans. Young's team has been listening to what customers think of an electric F-150. We get to see so many of our customers who are coming in, and they're from all different kinds of vocations, from plumbers to landscapers to electricians, and they are talking about how to make this transition to electric. Cole Brodine works for a public power district in a rural part of central Nebraska. When he went electric, it didn't go without some comments. Folks compared his Chevy Bolt to a clown car. At first, I got a lot of guff for it. It is kind of a small car, and I'm a larger guy, so they thought a lot of people think that's funny. But lately, some of those people have been coming around. The last few months, with the gas prices really skyrocketing, I have gotten a lot of questions from some people who I thought would never buy an electric vehicle. All of a sudden, they're very interested. He says maybe an electric pickup could stir up even more interest. Cole's father, Brad, sits next to his son at a dining table. Brad farms and sees how an electric truck could work well out in the fields. But he'd need to be sold on the pickup's hauling power before putting any money down. Farmers kind of sit back and we want to make sure things are going to work because everything's expensive. We don't mind trying new things. You know, uh, if we think it's going to work, we're pretty excited about it because innovation has been a good thing in agriculture. Ford may do just fine, even if Midwestern drivers take their time. About 75% of the people who signed up for the F-150 Lightning so far are new to Ford, suggesting they're not trading in their old gas F-150s just yet. For Harvest Public Media, I'm Elizabeth Rembert. Harvest Public Media is a collaboration of public media newsrooms in the Midwest and Great Plains, including KCUR. It reports on food systems, agriculture, and rural issues. You can follow Harvest on Twitter at HarvestPM. This is Kansas City Today. I'm Nomi Nujia-Dean. This podcast is produced by Byron Love, Trevor Grandin, and KCUR Studios, and edited by Lisa Rodriguez and Gabe Rosenberg. To read Elizabeth's story about the Ford F-150, visit kcur.org, where you can find more local and regional news from Kansas City's NPR station. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.